Welcome to Goddess Rising. I am Brooke Kikos, your host, a trauma recovery coach, RTT therapist, and NLP practitioner. Join us in unlocking the power from within and using our voice to create real change for women to empower, learn, expand consciousness, and uplift each other. If you have been burdened by a past of trauma, abuse, and toxic relationships, this is a safe space to learn and embody your truth. It's time that we embody our feminine energy and become the goddesses within and stop allowing others to dim our light. I am here to help you shift from shame, people-pleasing, codependency, and the belief that you are not enough and shift into expansion of your real potential. It's time to say no to toxic behaviors and say yes to unapologetic self-love. And this is where we find the healthiest relationship with ourselves. Welcome back to Goddess Rising. This is a special episode. Today, February 22nd, is the day of the launch of my children's book called The Grief Monster. It is in honor of my children losing their father and seeing the grief that they had to endure with that loss. Um, And as well myself, um, we overall have this loss and this sadness. Um, And Really, this book is about a little boy that loses his dad and befriends um, what we call the grief monster and recognizing that grief is here and that we don't have to be afraid of the sadness, but rather just allowing ourselves to feel the sadness. So the link is going to be in the show notes for the book. If you know anyone that has had this type of loss, um, it's for children from the ages to three to eight. But realistically, let's be real, we all have a grief monster that we've had to overcome in our lives with a certain loss um, and in feeling that sadness. So I have someone on here today that I'm really excited to introduce. Um, Her name is Erin Elder, and she is a grief and loss coach. Um, And she has some really cool new aspects of learning about what is grief and some other ways of how we can cope with grief and really be with that experience. So I'm super excited to get into this discussion and I can't wait for you guys all to be able to kind of maybe recognize how maybe grief has come into your life and how you can maybe experience it in a different way with her knowledge. So Erin also had the loss of her daughter And this really plunged herself into the depths of her own grief. And I feel like this is probably where her journey really began. And I would love to know more about, one, how you help others explore their grief. But most importantly, why did you feel so called to be this grief and loss coach? You could tell us a little bit more about that. Yeah. So I was a leader of a coaching program at a local university where our work was being recognized nationally for the outcomes we were getting with the populations we were serving. And it really started to pique my interest in just the coaching approach and uh, the philosophies behind coaching and how that might be applied to grief and loss. I had never thought of that really prior to having experienced uh, coaching as both a professional and then also as an administrator of a coaching program. So then I left that world of work and stayed home with my daughters for a brief time because it wasn't too long and I was out on a walk and it just all came together for me. Uh, This is what I meant to be doing, grief and loss coaching for adults 
utilizing coaching frameworks and then learning more about how to bring in both, you know, my personal experience, but more importantly, the science and the professional understanding of grief and loss. So I went on to get a grief and loss support specialist certificate through an online program at the University of Wisconsin. And then I continued my learning. I'm wrapping up Megan Devine's six-month grief care support class. So there's a lot um, that I'm pulling in from a lot of different disciplines. And yes, my daughter's death 10 years ago was such a profound experience. And I'm still grieving. Grief for me lasts a lifetime. And it likely does for many, many people, right? Um, but when I was a, a young child, uh, I think I was in fourth grade, my godmother died by suicide. And, you know, back then grief was talked about so differently and there was no uh, supports for me in that moment either thinking about, you know, how do we support um, the griever? So I think really that might have been the start. Like when I look back at the through line, I think my fourth grade experience is also informing where I've landed today. Mm -hmm. And uh, yeah. And so then when my um, daughter died unexpectedly. Um, it really brought up so many grief questions for me. How is grief being supported at work? How do we support people in our own communities? You know, how can I support myself? Um, so yeah, a lot, a lot came about from this experience. Wow. Thank you for sharing. I know that's probably still, still is vulnerable to share, right? It's still probably even talking about that grief and that loss is still, I don't feel like time yes does it help it get a little easier yes but i still think it's still there right the wound is still there and can you kind of speak a little bit on that as for maybe your experience and maybe the the people that you also help with their grief like what's their experience with that yeah so personally you're absolutely right the wound or the scar stays there mm -hmm. and, it, and it will be a part of me forever and I think one of the things that I notice uh, about society is we like to cure things or fix things or pathologize things. And that's been done um, in some ways with grief. And that's not an effective approach at all. Mm -hmm. um, I like the idea of thinking about integration and how we integrate our grief experiences into who we are. And yes, it's not always going to be something that feels good all the time, right? Um, if there is something that would magically fix grief, people might want it. But when you really ask that question, would they? You know, you're feeling the depths of despair. Uh, all of those things come along with grief and that's okay. It's okay to feel sad. It's mm -hmm. okay to not be okay. And I think that message um, is well received by people who are grieving. So that's where that comes up with, with some of my clients as well. Yeah. And that makes sense, right? It's almost like, I like what you said there was giving yourself the permission to say, I can feel this despair. It's okay that I feel so sad. And I, maybe you can't get out of bed or you feel like you're unable to kind of handle life. Like there is going to be this period of where you do feel like this complete despair, right? Yeah. And there is, and for some people there may not be. And so I want to normalize that too. Mm -hmm. Everybody's grief response is different because we are all individuals. We only have our own lived experiences. Nobody else has those. Right. So of course our grief is going to be different for everybody. So sometimes we get the opposite where a client is almost panicking. I'm not feeling despair mm -hmm. and normalizing that too. That's okay as well. Just being curious about that then. 
you know, what's going on for them. Is it a, a coping mechanism? Is it a healthy one for them um, to not have those feelings? So yeah, there's a lot of curiosity that comes along with this work. Yeah, I would say so. And let, can I just touch on that one point? Like, what would be, what would you identify? Like, if you were helping a client through grief, what would be a coping mechanism? Or what would you identify as, oh, this is how you're coping and maybe it's like negative or or, or positive and, and maybe how you could help them kind of work through something like that. Yeah, I think that's a conversation. So just asking, you know, that question, how are you coping? And um, also being curious where it's coming up without asking that question, mm -hmm. they'll tell you in different ways, right, how they are coping potentially. And it really comes down to the individual because um, it, it's not trying to put a sense of judgment on an individual or to pathologize their coping methods, even if they may be mainstream unhealthy. It's just sitting with that curiosity that, you know, how's that affecting you right now? Mm. Do you like how that feels for you right now? Those sorts of things. And then it's helping them shift with a very, very, very gradual shift. And that's what coaching is about, which is a little bit different than mental health therapy, but it, it, we tend to have a little bit more of a focus mm -hmm on kind of that movement toward a next step or a, a small, small scale change. Um, so if it's not working for the individual, you know, what are some life adjustments that could work in, in their scenario? I like that. You're really giving them tools rather than saying like shaming what they're doing that's right or wrong. It's more of like, okay, I'm going to give you the tools like to recognize, okay, well, if this doesn't feel good, how can I help you get to a space with what you do feel good with? Yeah, I love that. That's great. So this leads to my next question is, how can we help ourselves through grief? Yeah, that's such a hard question because of so many different nuanced things that are happening during grief. One, at the physiological level, I'm a big fan of the book, The Grieving Brain by Mary Frances O'Connor, mm. a neuroscientist, a professor who's been able to pinpoint in neuroscience how our brains are creating new maps in grief. Mm. So I think that's fascinating to think about when our brain is creating a new map, we might be changing it and not know what we need or want either, right? So how do you plan for this if you're really not grieving? You know, that that's a challenging question. And then when you are grieving, it can be really hard to know because of those changes. It's like, wait, I'm a new person, but you're not fully a new person. There are just some changes that are happening. Mm -hmm. So I have developed just a four part guide to think about um, for somebody who is in grief or for somebody who's not currently grieving, uh, they can up think about how they might apply this into their future or with family and friends. But one of the parts to this is really being able to understand and explore your feelings and your thoughts. Our American language does not have enough language to describe the nuance of what we're feeling when we're grieving. So if we can do what I call a bit of a mindful exercise with that, by looking at the word that comes up with the feeling or thought that we're having and, and sitting down with that and describing that and then coming up with some synonyms or phrases or metaphors to nuance that. And then really looking at where that shows up in one's life and how they typically respond to it and how they really want to respond to it now. And then also maybe asking how they would respond to someone they know with this feeling. And oftentimes people will come up with something that'll work for them directly because we tend to 
like to respond to people how we think it works for us. The other, the second part is really dealing with others' behaviors and opinions, and that's really challenging because we are, as a culture, not very grief literate because we don't talk about it. So people are well-meaning; they just, you know, don't know exactly what to say. So it's being able to set some boundaries around what people say to you, and then being able to clearly and kindly um, address a concern that they might have, or redirect the conversation back to them or to something else. Mm-hmm. And then the third part is your tangible needs. So really looking at your physical spaces, where are you feeling comfortable? What in your house is not working for you? How can you move pictures, adjust things, make things work for you as best as possible? Um, So that's huge. And then also physical spaces outside of your home. You know, where do you feel comfortable? Where do you like to go on walks? Those sorts of things. Um, Where can you express yourself without judgment? Really looking at those questions. And then the fourth part of this model is about the network. you know, it's really hard to do this alone. I know some people might do it alone better than others, um, and it might work better for them in that way. I I tend to lean um, toward the perspective that a network of people can really support the griever. Um, so the griever really knowing about, like, who is my person I can really talk with, and maybe it's a therapist where you can really just be 100% honest and be seen, and then maybe who is my person who will help me get things done, right? help me with household needs or with childcare or whatever it may be. Um, Knowing those in advance can be helpful too, instead of having to try to find them when you're in your grieving um, after the loss of someone or divorce um, or something like that. But the brief intro to the four parts. (laughs) That's really, really helpful. Honestly. I mean, I think that it is all about being able to say that, okay, how am I going to support myself through each of these pieces? So I like how you're like, you can even just pre-plan for this, right? Of like, well, what would happen if this something like this happened? How would I be able to cope with something like this? Because you're right, when grief happens, I know for myself, um, you are in a completely different state of mind. You don't have the ability to make decisions or find the things that you need or be able to make, you know, even make the simplest of tasks become the hardest of tasks. So I think that's a phenomenal thing that you're giving to and value for people that work with you. I think that's beautiful. So I think we touched a little bit about this, but how can, I know we we like, well, what do people say? You know, someone, someone passes, right? They lose somebody. And a lot of times we're like, well, we don't know what to say, or we don't know what to do. or We don't know what to how we can help them. And a lot of times we just feel like really uncomfortable. We're like, we're so sorry for your loss. Right. But not really knowing what to do beyond that. So how can we actually help someone that is going through some really deep grief? Yeah, that's a great question. And it's a hard one because people are different. So they may have different needs around this, but I think one of the things that you can ask yourself, uh, as someone who's supporting the grievers, like what's your intention behind a question you ask them? or what you say to them. I think it's just pausing a little bit more than in a normal conversation and being more mindful about, you know, your own things that are going on for you and then what might be most helpful to your person. Um, And the other thing is what might be most helpful to your person might be shifting through grief a little bit because they're shifting and they're changing with that neuroscience, right? So um, this gets really tricky. I think that the other piece is though, we can't get to this space of, being so 
scared that we're going to say the wrong thing, that we just mm -hmm. don't approach the griever. That's not the direction to go in either. I think it's always better to show up, um, send the text message, you know, send the phone call. You control that aspect and then the griever can control whether they want to receive it or, or not. So um, what to say to someone in grief and what not to say. I mean, there's a lot of things you can read on the internet about this and there are lists that say, don't say this, do say this. I say if it comes from a place of well-intentioned compassion, then that's going to be well-received. Um, and if you fumble with your words and you're coming from that space, that's okay, right? Versus maybe a platitude, like you said, I'm so sorry. Or, you know, that's not a bad phrase, but that you can add more to that phrase. Yeah. I'm so sorry. And um, can you go for a walk with me on this day at this time? Would that work for your schedule? Mm -hmm. Really, you know, keeping that person at the center of, of the experience. Yeah. It's almost like connection. Like making sure in some way we have a connection beyond that. I'm just so sorry for your loss, right? Like, like how can we connect with this person to help them feel supported? Even if it's like something as easy as taking a walk. Yes. Yeah. I love that. Oh, that's a great way to, to be able to support somebody. I really love that. You know, what's, what came up for me in our, in our talking as I was listening to you and I was listening to this model that you've kind of created for, for women and men, I'm sure that you work with, um, what is an example of a word or the phrase that in this model, maybe it was your own experience that has come up, or maybe it's, you know, you can speak to other experiences that kind of came up and how would they would work through that model? Oh, that's such a good question. And I think for me, sad um, is the first word that comes to mind. And I'm going to draw from my own personal experience and not share others' examples. And so this might be a little challenging because I didn't have this model then when I was really in the um in a heavier parts of my grief but i do remember like i had just one word for these emotions but nothing to nuance them so it's like i feel sad mm. well now using this model it's like okay i feel sad what is this what does that really mean when i describe this word um i feel lonely and depressed i feel that uh i can't get out of bed i feel like nobody understands so that's me describing the word. And then I would come up with synonyms or, or phrases. Mm -hmm. So, uh, or even a metaphor or something. So a metaphor, maybe my candle in my soul was blown out mm -hmm. and I can't even really feel really or something. Well, that gives me a little more imagery to work with. Okay. So that's happening on the inside. What can I do with, you know, with that? And so where is this showing up for me in my life? Well, I'm not getting out of bed and that that's okay. And I do want to nuance that, you know, that's completely okay for someone in grief to not be getting out of bed at, you know, certain parts of, of what they're experiencing, you know, like that's mm -hmm. part of it. Um, and then how I respond to it. Wow. Now that I know that it's what I'm feeling is not just sad, but it's like this candle has gone out and it's loneliness. that's beating the sadness mm -hmm. and that's, what's creating this despair. How can I respond to it? So if loneliness is really kind of at the root of this for me, maybe I need to reach out to someone I really trust right now and have a conversation, or maybe I want to go volunteer somewhere um, and try that, mm -hmm. um, or, or just different ways to respond to it. And then how I want to respond, well, maybe I want to go back to bed, or maybe I want to listen to music. 
you know, try those two potentially. And then how would I personally respond to this feeling um, for someone else who's feeling this feeling? I think I would check in with them with a phone call. Um, I would bring them a meal. I might um, share a funny meme or share something that I saw the other day that was really intriguing and a new learning for me. Um, a really like a cool new scientific fact I'm grief or something. I don't know. So maybe I'll go do that. Maybe I'll go try doing that for myself <laughs> and see mm -hmm. if that works. And if not, that's okay too, because it's, it's not a linear path. So that's just a brief example that I came up with of how that showed up for me. Thank you for sharing that. I really appreciate that. Cause I think that really kind of speaks and gives it like a little bit more life to like actually kind of really kind of go through that whole entire process. And if someone's listening and you are sitting with your own grief or perhaps you're, you know, really in the depths of it, maybe this is something that can be of value to them as well. Because I think there is so much to say about the fact of just being able to kind of sit with those feelings and give them a little bit of space. And I think we kind of talked a little bit about that too. It's like, we've got to have this space, like, and we talked about those like micro moments, you know, of having these opportunities of, okay, where can I find space that's available for me to access this grief? And, you know, what's your recommendation on that? Like what that looks like, how, how that feels for somebody? Yeah, I think it's a lifelong habit, actually. We could all be doing that regarding any type of loss, whether that's a recent loss about you didn't get the promotion at work or whether that's a death loss from 20 years ago, right? Like we can check in with ourselves every once in a while and use that term of micro moments to um, have that time. Maybe it's 30 seconds. Maybe it's a minute. Maybe it's 10 minutes. And, you know, really sit with the feelings and just be curious about them. And I always like this model of switching from uh, switching to curiosity from judgment because I can always hold just that like two directional thing in my mind. Okay. I'm starting to feel judgment about this. Can I get to curiosity with this? And just like a kind of like a pendulum swinging or like a, on a clock is what I think of when um, this goes back and forth in my mind. So uh, I hold that moment. Maybe I'm grieving right now, something um, and this comes up for me in a negative thought about myself or negative thought about what I'm feeling. And I move that into a neutral space. It doesn't need to be positive. Negative is just as good as positive, right? Like mm -hmm. we don't need to be scared of, you know, dark, dark. I don't want to go too far down this path, but we don't need to be scared of not being okay or having, you know, negative thoughts about ourselves. We just want to bring those more into neutral balance sometimes in these phases. So yeah. I like that because that really is speaking to the fact that the of the dark thoughts that can come up with grief, right? And I think we kind of have to give a little bit of um, space for that as well, right? Like that, that, like that's not something maybe people don't want to talk about that, or maybe people don't want to express that that stuff really happens. But with deep grief, that can happen, and it's okay. It's normal, right? Like, would you could we say that we can normalize so normal. that? Yeah, very normal. Yes. yes. Yeah. And it can feel so scary and so not normal. <laughs> right, right. Because then you're almost at the point where you're like, okay, well, is something wrong with me? Like, do I have something serious going on with me? But can you speak to a little bit of maybe why that kind of comes up? Is there something in the background of, of the why? I think there's a lot. I think uh, 
it's societal expectations. There is a little bit of that toxic positivity culture, and that can be really harmful with grief in particular. And I am like I'm a Clifton Strengths Finder, the top five positivity is in my top five. So I have to really temper that sometimes mm-hmm. um, when I think about how that shows up in our culture and, and spaces of grief as well. Um, yeah, so I think I just went on a tangent there. Sorry. <laughs> you're fine. You're fine. <laughs> well, it happens. It happens. Well, just talking, like helping us normalize the the fact that there is dark thoughts that come with grief oh, yeah. and that it's not something that's not common. It is common. And I think a lot of people probably hide that that happens probably because they're a little bit, you know, of, maybe they're judging it themselves or maybe they're just afraid of how people are going to perceive that. I think it's both. And I love that you yeah. said it that way, the judgment of themselves and then how people will perceive it. Cause then it's like, they pathologize it. You are depressed. You need this mm-hmm. medication or you are this. And so you need uh, to see this person kind of thing. And that's just, it's much more complex than that. Mm-hmm. And I think it is helpful to be able to share what's happening internally with, with us um, that might be more dark or mm-hmm. challenging in grief. So uh, as someone who wants to support a griever, that's another good thing that you can do is you can sit beside them as they talk through some of these really challenging aspects and you yourself hold it from a place of curiosity and non-judgment. That's a, another quality that can be really helpful as a supporter of a griever. Yeah. I think that's really valuable what you said. There's not enough of that. Like you can take yourself from judgment to curiosity, like in every aspect. So with self and with others is huge. Like if there's nothing else that anyone takes it away from this podcast, that is, I think a really valuable information of like, because how often do we judge ourselves and then how often do we find ourselves judging other people? Because that just is something that our, our natural human condition kind of does. Our brain is constantly kind of doing that, but then we can like just say, well, no, I don't need to be judgment. I don't need to be judging this person or I don't need to judge myself here. I can just be curious. Why do I feel this way? What's coming up for me? Why is it coming up for me? Right. And just asking those really simple questions to kind of dig deeper into the self, which I think is awesome. So thank you for um, giving us that feedback and and telling us those things and having the opportunity to recognize that having space for this grief to access this grief is also going to help us move through it. Yes. Yeah. Yeah. I once time heard this phrase and I can't remember where I heard it. It was about eight years ago. And it's like, what you shame stays the same, right? Mm -hmm. So if we keep shaming grief or not talking about grief, um, Nothing's going to change in terms of one's health or their ability to live a good life if that's what they want after a loss, you know, those sorts of things. So really thinking about how we bring more light to this topic. That's a great one. Shame stays the same. What we shame stays the same. That is great. I love that. Well, thank you so much, Erin. I'm going to ask you one last question before we kind of close out this session. I always ask, you know, Is there something in your own journey with grief that maybe someone said to you or someone came along and gave you um, that really helped you kind of out of, out of this darkness, out of this grief? Was there something that you can speak to? Yes, I have a few examples. And the first one that comes to mind is now a dear friend of mine, but at the time she was more of a senior leader in the organization I was working within at the time of the loss. Um, and I want to juxtapose this because there was another senior leader he's also close with. 
but their approaches were very different in what they said to me and when we would like meet up for coffee or whatever. And what I really liked about what this person said to me is she kind of self-disclosed a little bit, again, getting rid of that shame. I've done this type of therapy. Um, and this is what it is. Have you heard of it? Mm-hmm. And, you know, coming from someone who is close enough to me and instead of saying, Hey, you're really depressed. Have you considered therapy? That's not the take she took at all. And that's not what she said at all to me. Uh, and so, yes, of course, at that point, it's like, yeah, I'm really curious about learning what that does with like the brain and the emotions and everything. Um, and so that to me was so powerful also because, right, she was a senior leader and I was younger, more starting out in my career. Um, so that had an impact. The other thing that was really interesting, um, and I don't know if everybody would find this as helpful, but we received a lot of mail from people we didn't even know mm-hmm. because of the obituaries they read different parts of the um, country. Um, and so that was fascinating too, because we get these letters and I'd be feeling like I, I realized it wasn't sad after going through that model that the, I was feeling lonely. Right. And so I get the mail and that would be like, Oh, okay, this is nice to, oh. to receive. So that, that was helpful at, at the moment. And then just like the 10 years since then, it's having the ability to still talk about her it's still having the um, opportunity to have a few rituals around birth dates or whatever it might be. And and for some people, they don't like to do the birth date celebrations, and that's okay, too. Um, the hardest part for me now uh, is in society, wherever I go, they always ask me how many kids I have. Mm-hmm. And it's so hard because... I want to be honest and I also don't want to dishonor my deceased daughter, but it's just too much at most points to, to explain that all. So it's always a different answer. Mm-hmm. And so I, I start to get a little more curious, like why in society do we always ask that question? <laughs> uh, but that's the kind of a small challenge that I keep, keep seeing. That keeps, yeah, that keeps kind of popping up. Yeah. I can imagine how that can make you feel a little uncomfortable. Yeah, that makes complete sense. Well, thank you for sharing that because I'm sure someone can take, you know, that experience and maybe they're going to play that out in their own life, right? With their grief or they see someone else grieving um, because I really think that you've brought so much to this conversation today. And I just want everybody to know that like if they're in need of some help, if they're in need of some, some extra support, that having you help them with grief and loss would be a phenomenal way to, to just kind of discover that. And I know we kind of talked about this. We might even have another episode because we want to talk about like other types of grief, which we talked about, I believe was like ambiguous grief. Um, and there was another one we kind of talked about. Maybe you can. Disenfranchised. Disenfranchised grief. grief. Yes. Yes. And can you speak a little bit, just like a short little synopsis on what those are? Yeah, so ambiguous loss is um, the person may be still alive, but they've significantly changed or the relationship has changed to them. This is a loss that we often don't um, help people out with a lot in society because we don't identify as grief. So we as humans just kind of like, okay, they're fine. And that's not true, which then leads to the next term, uh, disenfranchised Um grief and so we're looking at experiences where people might be grieving that aren't typically recognized by society so a lot of ambiguous loss is that 
Um, and then there's so, so, so much more grief is everywhere. Right. Yes. And, and, and grief is, um, on small scales to larger scales. And it's just like, it, it just permeates our society. So, yeah, well, thank you so much. I can't wait to have more conversations about this. Cause I think there is so much more deeper knowledge here that you have to give to everyone. So thanks again for being on the show. I really, really appreciate it. And I'm sure everybody's going to get, yeah, everybody's going to get lots of value out of this. Thank you for listening to Goddess Rising. It would mean the world to me if you could like, subscribe, and share so that I can receive more listeners because this is how we each use our own voices to step into our own power, create change and healing for others. Until next time, remember, you are the Goddess Rising.